Colorado stuns TCU. Florida State runs away from LSU in the second half. And Carolina paints the town blue right here on the three technique. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Everybody, welcome into the Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmys and the Joes. I'm Mitch Mason, joined by Trey Reeves, Garrett Turney, along as well. Uh, fellas, it's a late night recording session. LSU and Florida State just wrapped up. Uh, some rapid reaction coming to that game uh, here in a minute. But week one, we've talked about this on Twitter. It, it wasn't the most impressive slate as far as ranked teams going up against each other, right? Teams that had that little number next to their name. But as I wrote in the uh, headlines and review article, if you listen to the casuals that tell you that the numbers next to teams' names are the only things that make college football exciting, the only things that make tuning in on a week-to-week basis worth it, we're missing the entire point, aren't we? Oh, yeah. And those are the same people that are driving us towards, you know, two major conferences and no one else mattering at the end of the day. Right. So don't listen to them. There were tons of great games on TV yesterday. We were really excited. We had five screens going for most of the day with the quad box on YouTube TV. Still not a sponsor could be. But uh, yeah, I had a blast Uh, all day Saturday. The games today were really fun as well. And uh, we still got one more tomorrow night. That's what I'm really excited about. And, you know, there a lot of people complaining about this, but I don't know if it's just me. Y- y'all can weigh in on this, too. This felt like one of the more fun weeks of college football we've had in a long time. It felt kind of unpredictable. There are a lot of things that happened that I don't think anybody really expected to happen. And there were so many points being scored. Like, I know they said scoring overall was down, but it didn't seem like that to me. There were, I mean, several teams that went over 70. I mean, just, you know, what, 20 teams that went over 50 that I can think of right now. There were so many like massive scores, huge number outputs. And yeah, like they weren't playing some of the best defenses in the whole world, but it was still some awesome outputs, some really fun games to watch. And I'm hoping that this is a sign of things to come for this season. I think more teams are feeling confident after week one mm-hmm. than a long, than there had been in a really long time this year. Like, like you just look across the country, there are a lot of reasons for a lot of teams to be really confident coming out of their first game of the year. Those teams do not include TCU or LSU or even South unless Carolina. Unless you're wearing we'll purple. To, uh, or Baylor. Or, or Baylor. We'll, we'll get to all of those in due time. First, of course, I want to let you know that we are brought to you by our proud partners at the Transfer Portal CFB. Uh, we've uh, been a partner with them now for, for several months and, and loving every day of that. You can find more of our content over on the Transfer Portal CFB website, of course. Head on over, follow their social media. You can't get enough college football podcasting here on the Three Technique. They also release a preview and a recap pod over on their channels. Um, and so we would highly, highly encourage you to go check out 
Liam, Dylan, and the boys uh, over at the Transfer Portal CFB. Also, shout out to our partners and friends at homefieldapparel.com. Uh, some of the best apparel being made on a weekly basis. They are dropping new merch every single week. Um, and uh, you've, you've heard us talk about it now for, for several weeks here. Some of the comfiest shirts, the best retro logos. If you're a college sports fan, head on over and, and get yourself some merch. 3TechPod to get 15% off your first order. Or also you can order through our link on Twitter. That gets you the discount if you're a repeat customer as well. Uh, guys, we we need to start off by eating a little bit of crow here. Uh, I promised this on Twitter over the weekend. We did not consider Colorado seriously beating TCU or even threatening to beat TCU. I took them to cover the 20 and a half point spread uh, because I felt like that was a large number for a, a team in TCU that's breaking in a lot of transfers just like Colorado. And so I figured, well, maybe that's something that keeps it close in the end. But even then, I didn't expect Colorado to hang with the Horned Frogs the way that they did and ultimately beat TCU. Last year's runners-up, 45-42 in Fort Worth. Uh, guys, the story was Shadur Sanders and Travis Hunter Jr., right? Uh, Shadur sets a program record 510 yards through the air for touchdowns on the day. Uh, and Travis Hunter, all he did was play 129 snaps. He played both ways as cornerback one. He also played as a wide receiver, had 100 yards receiving in the game, an interception on defense. Uh, Trey, let's start with you. I mean, this was something almost as unexpected as as another upset that we'll talk about a little a little later on on the banks of the Brazos, but Colorado actually did it. I, I, I said over the weekend I might have to retire the take that you can't just slap 80 college athletes together and form a winning team because USC did it for the most part last year, and it's only week one, but Colorado beat TCU fair and square. That, that they did, and it was a track meet. It was a really, really fun college football game. There was not a lot of defense being played. Yeah. Look, I expected more out of TCU's defense. I thought that that would be what ultimately led them to victory in this game. I thought that would be what ultimately led them to cover the large point spread in this game. I thought it would be close for the first half, but TCU would ultimately be the more talented team, the more experienced team, the more cohesive team. And, you know, like you said, that just turned out to not matter because it's all about who can you get on the field. And on Saturday on the field, Shadir Sanders and Travis Hunter with by far the two best players, maybe not even just in Fort Worth, maybe in the entire country that we saw on any football field on Saturday. So I'm really excited to see. I, I'm still tempering expectations a little bit. It's a long season. You can already see the cracks and you can already see what could potentially cause Colorado to not meet what are going to be extremely lofty expectations after this one. But for right now, let's just talk about this game. The offense, it was so fun to watch. I just kept commenting to you guys while we were watching. The scheme looks so fun. They're getting guys open. They're getting guys in space. They're putting the ball in the hands of playmakers. Shadir's making amazing decisions. You can tell that he's the prototypical coach's kid, right? He's making all the right decisions, getting the ball in the hands of the guys that need to have it in their hands. And TCU had no answers in that second half. Every time that Colorado touched the ball, you just had the feeling that they were going to score eventually. They were going to find a way. Didn't matter if it was fourth down. Didn't matter if they had a third and long. They were going to find a way to convert that, and they were going to march down the field and score. 
probably on a really big play with some busted tackles and busted coverage. So TCU just plain and simple had no answer for what Colorado was throwing at them. I know Colorado didn't really have a lot of answers for what TCU was throwing at them offensively, but at the end of the day, Colorado threw the bigger punches. Colorado withstood the storm. TCU tried to come back furiously and Shadir Sanders really outplayed Chandler Morris down the stretch and Colorado's hired guns through the transfer portal beat TCU's hired guns through the transfer portal head to head. Yeah, Garrett, it's it's not like Chandler Morris played poorly necessarily, 279 yards, two touchdowns, but he did throw two really bad interceptions. One of them in the end zone, one of them steps away from the pearly gates when Travis Hunter made a, a sensational diving interception. You know, Shadur stepped up. And, you know, folks were commenting, I saw on the YouTube channel, folks were commenting uh, even on Twitter, you know, that, hey, Shadur had offers to Power 5 institutions. Our point wasn't that Shadur can't be a good quarterback. Our question was, is he going to step up in game one, even in season one, and make a statement to, to back up all this hype? And, and lo and behold, I mean, he he did it. He was the gunslinger, the better the better player on the field that day. Yeah, and the the thing that I was thinking about Shadur is obviously like he had to make that step. He had the talent, but playing your first game against Power Five competition anywhere is tough. Nonetheless, playing TCU, whose defense did a, a good job down the stretch against a lot of Big Twelve teams, and you know, I'm, obviously the playoffs is a different story for them, but still played really well in spots and was able to do things effectively. Shadur Sanders was just better flat out. Like that's all it really comes down to. If you look at the numbers, 55 rushing yards on the day for Colorado, but 510 passing yards. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of an insane number, obviously breaking the record there. Um, but, but when you really looked at it too, it wasn't so much that it was just airing it out the whole time. He just knew what to do and let the playmakers do their thing. If you look at his QBR, it wasn't tops. It was, I think it was like 12th or 13th or something like that coming out of the day. And certainly not bad, but with that many yards, you'd expect a lot higher QBR. It was because he was getting the ball to guys in short situations and letting them run with it. They, he was just letting the guys run with it. A lot of missed tackles for TCU. Um, not not a very good job defensively catching up with what they had going on. But it seems like they just knew who their playmakers were. And, and Shadur was able to go out there and distribute the ball. So fantastic job by all of them. Like Dion said at halftime, he is him. Um, and... and you know, maybe if he connects it on a couple more of those deep balls that have the Heisman in his crepe, you know, yeah, okay, whatever, that's fine. You can you can say all that. I'm not gonna say he's a Heisman candidate, but look, start off with 510 yards in your first game. You're gonna pad the stats. Um, go do it against somebody really good. You know, I mean, we thought TCU maybe had a good defense, maybe not, but you know, go do it against someone like USC or Oregon in a couple weeks, and you know, then you're gonna start getting your your praise that you deserve. And and I think that you know we all have to kind of acknowledge when we were wrong. We were kind of wrong on this one. You know, we, we didn't think he'd make the the jump as fast as he did. We I think we all thought he had the talent in there, but I don't think any of us thought he was going to make this jump in game one. He looked amazing. Um, and, and yeah, again, Travis Hunter, fantastic game for him as well. Uh, I think Jimmy Horn was the other wide receiver who had a fantastic game too. So really good across the board. Not a whole lot to say about that. Colorado absolutely took care of their business. TCU did about what we expected them to do, but Colorado was leaps and bounds ahead of where I thought they would be right now. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Four receivers for Colorado had 100-yard days. Colorado only had two wide receivers all of last year reach 100 yards in a single game. They do it four times in the season opener. Dylan Edwards, the former Notre Dame commit who uh, decommitted from the, the Fighting Irish, had grown up, basically revered Dion as, as a father figure, commits to Colorado, has three touchdowns receiving on the day. Garrett, you mentioned they couldn't do anything on the ground. And, and you know, I, I certainly don't want to cast any sort of thundercloud over this this win for Colorado, but I do think it's important for us to to not back off the point either. Listen, Colorado came out and did something that we did not expect, right? The offense looks legitimate. I do wonder a little bit about the defense. Uh, they couldn't stop TCU for the vast majority of that game. Now they did get some some key plays as the field shortened. That mm-hmm. defense seemed to bow up a little bit, and, and, and shout out to uh, the Colorado secondary for doing a good job there. In the first half, I thought Colorado's battle in the trenches, they they played fine, right? And, and my whole point was I didn't expect them to play fine. The offensive line or the defensive line, I really questioned what they had there. Now, over the course of that game, I think you saw the offensive line get exposed a little bit, right? You can't run the ball. Uh, they weren't able to move uh, the, the chains in, in short down in distances when they just had to run the football. They had to rely on it through the air. And so that, I think, as you get deeper into the Pac-12 schedule, is is certainly going to be a concern. For TCU, though, uh, guys, TCU, we, we thought TCU's defense would kind of be the hallmark of this team. We, we were questioning what Chandler Morris would bring in. Um, yes, of course, a lot of talent in the wide receiver positions, JoJo Earl, they had Trey Sanders coming in from Alabama at the running back position. But we didn't know about the quarterback. The offense was fine. 42 points should win you a lot of games uh, in over the course of a season. But the fact that the defense couldn't do much, the fact that the defense looked a step slow is a real concern for TCU. And, and right now where I sit, 9-3, and three, where I projected them to go, that might be a little optimistic uh, from what we saw in week one. Now, you don't just draw conclusions over the course of the entire season from week one, but it does certainly give you a cause for pause. Yeah, absolutely, especially for a program that historically has prided itself in its defensive back play, right? You think about all the guys from TCU that are now on NFL rosters, light, lighting up the NFL draft boards year in and year out, coming out of TCU, but – They've got to fix it, plain and simple. It's not like they're going to find any lesser passing attacks on their Big 12 schedule. Their fans know that. They know that within the building. I'm, you know, historically their track record is that they will get this fixed. We've seen difficulty in the beginning of seasons before, and we've seen that turn around throughout the year. And quite frankly, they had no idea what Colorado was going to throw at them, right? They had no idea – if, if you're just playing devil's advocate for TCU, it's really hard to come into game one with basically no film on a team that you're going to be facing. They, they had no, no idea what they were going to be facing. They had yeah. some scouting reports on individual players maybe, but schematically with the pieces that they had, there was just no way they could prepare 
for what they saw. The in-game adjustments left a lot to be desired as well. So the, I'm not letting the coaching staff, com- staff completely off the hook. But yeah, I, I, I think brighter days could be ahead for TCU, but they've really got to hit the ground running starting now. TCU didn't run the ball very effectively. They needed to, I think, earlier. I, I was expecting them to lean on the ground game a little bit more, and Kendall Bryles uh, decided to keep airing it out. And, and eventually, TCU fell behind the chains one too many times uh, and just couldn't keep up with the Colorado offense. Guys, another team that couldn't keep up with an explosive offense, the LSU Tigers. Let's move over to the game that just finished, a little re- rapid reaction. Uh, Florida State wins 45-24. Jordan Travis put on a clinic uh, in the second half especially. The the Knowles score 31 unanswered out of the break after trailing 17-14 at half. This was a beautifully chaotic game. It was funny. I I texted you guys. At any one time on Twitter, you could open up the feed and there would be folks both praising how fun this game was and complaining about how sloppy it was. There were folks saying FSU and LSU won't beat insert power five team. That's next on their schedule. There were folks saying Florida state or LSU, depending on who had just scored was a shoe in for the playoff. It was an incredible uh, convergence of takes events this was a really fun game until about halfway through the third quarter. Really, I guess more towards the beginning of the fourth quarter when the Knolls started to pull away. It, Garrett, let's start with you. You know what stood out to you about this game? A couple of of guys had had really big stat sheets. We'll get into that, but just overall, kind of give me your temperature on both of these teams. Well, I think today the best team won. I think that's what happened. I think Florida State was the better team. I think there was a lot of stuff to go wrong with LSU, and I, and I felt like both teams kind of matched intensity early on. I felt like that's kind of what happened in the first half was both teams were there. Both teams were gunning, making great plays. I remember there was the the fumble recovery and Florida State's going crazy. And then the next play, it seemed like, you know, interception going back the other way. And it just felt like one half of the stadium's roaring. And then the other half's roaring and there we go. And so it felt really fun. To me, I thought the first half was fun. I thought that was a lot of fun watching teams make good plays on defense and come up with big stops. But as the game wore on, it just kind of felt like Florida State was able to put their will on LSU. It seemed like the runs were getting a little longer, that the the holes were opening up a little quicker, that there was a little bit more yards after catch on the on the the receivers' ends, and and it just seemed like over time things just got a little bit better and a little bit better for Florida State. And LSU kind of almost rolled over. I know they had that long touchdown at the very end, but. It almost felt irrelevant at that point. It almost seemed like the Florida State guys like, ah, let them walk it in. Let's just get the ball back and, you know, run the clock out. So, I mean, hats off to Florida State. They played a fantastic game. I feel really good about putting them at my number two after that performance because it's not to say that I don't think LSU is a good team, but when you miss a couple of players and you don't have a proven track record defending the run, it makes everything else harder on defense, right? It, it doesn't matter if you got a good pass defense. doesn't matter if your DBs are supposed to be talented. Doesn't matter if your linebackers are crazy fast like Harold Perkins. Doesn't matter. It, you, when you can't stop the run up front, when you cannot win on the line of scrimmage, you're not going to win a whole lot of games, and especially not against that elite talent at the top end of the college football world. Yeah. Trey, they were, go ahead, Mitch. Well, I'm, I'm going to cue you up here. I, the battle in the trenches was ugly all night long. Both defensive lines had more success than offensive lines, but the pass rush for Florida State was – a lot more consistent, certainly in big moments, right? 
And a big part of that was Harold Perkins was not rushing off the edge yep. as many times as it felt like he should have been. And we talked about this in the preview. LSU has him playing stand-up linebacker, playing in the middle of the field where I, I think uh, Kirk Herbstreet made the, made the comment, LSU is taking a guy who is all-world rushing the passer and they're putting him back in coverage where he's simply average. There were a number of, of points where I kind of scratched my head at what LSU was doing, but the deployment of Harold Perkins as the best weapon on the field was, was chief among them. Absolutely, especially when you already knew going in that you're missing your best defensive lineman in Mason Smith, right? You, and we talked about how that affects the running game, but Mason Smith is no slouch in putting pressure on the quarterback as well. So LSU was still able to generate some pressure and they were able to get to Jordan Travis a little bit, but Harold Perkins had five tackles, two solo tackles in this game. You're telling me you want your best player to impact five plays. Like, I know that that's not all on the scheme. That's definitely on Perkins as well. And he would tell you that he should have had more, but you got to put your best players in the best position to make plays. And one of the knocks on Brian Kelly throughout his whole coaching career at Notre Dame was just a lack of innovation, right? It was the same offense every year. It was the same scheme. It was bully ball. It was throw to the tight end. It was run the ball for three yards in a cloud of dust a lot of times and eventually just outlast teams. And when you're out-athleted like you were against Florida State tonight in a lot of positions, Florida State just made a lot more big plays. And it's a lot easier to score in bunches when you can make big chunk plays and when you can, you know, exploit matchups that you think that you can take advantage of. And LSU did not do that tonight. They were totally fine with the vanilla play calling. They were totally fine with their limited ability on offense. I, I, I think the better quarterback in Jordan Travis, this was two great college quarterbacks. So Jordan Travis is the better quarterback, right? He has the ability to throw downfield accurately we just haven't seen that from Jaden Daniels and it really limits the offense for LSU. And that kind of is the microcosm of the whole team. They, they were not innovative on defense either. They got pressure a little bit, but the blitz packages weren't really left a lot to be desired and left the chess pieces are there. I'm just not convinced that they're being played in the right way. LSU couldn't move the ball on the ground. Jaden Daniels was the leading rusher, 15 carries for 64 yards guys. They talked about Noah Kane being a difference maker, transferring in from Penn State. Four carries for four yards. He had a short yardage touchdown, but other than that, did not impact this football game. The LSU offensive line really struggled. The Florida State offensive line really struggled as well. But as you mentioned, Trey, it was clear who the better quarterback was. And Jordan Travis had his struggles in this game. Towards the end of the, the first half, that second quarter, when all of a sudden it felt like LSU might be able to pull away, he was struggling to, to keep his eyes downfield. He almost threw a terrible pick on his own like 10-yard line. Um, and, and so Travis did not play a perfect game, but in the end, he was able to throw the ball more accurately down the field. Keon Coleman goes off nine catches, 122 yards, three touchdowns. He bullied Deuce Chestnut, the Syracuse transfer, all night long. Um, this was a fun game to watch for those of us that were saying, now wait till you see Keon Coleman in a real offense. And tonight was that night to the point of, of Jaden Daniels struggling at times. It's not like he had a bad night, 345 yards, a touchdown, a pick, 
he had some drops. Both teams really struggled with drops. But for LSU, for me, where they lost this game, where they lost the momentum, it was one drops. They had several key chances to run away and hide with this game early. And that even goes to the very start of the game. They were 0 for 3 on fourth down. Two of those fourth down attempts were within the, the first, what, eight minutes of the first quarter inside the red zone. Well, against and they Florida had first State. and goal at the one-yard line. The one. You couldn't punch it in. Yeah. So some, some seriously missed opportunities for the Tigers. I, I want to ask you guys, if LSU is able to either punch, you know, maybe first and goal from the one, Noah Kane's able to get into the end zone. Maybe they get a field goal in that second drive instead of, uh, of wasting that away, too. Was this an area where LSU could have taken the air out of the ball had they gotten a couple of scores earlier? Do you think Florida State's offense was going to do what it was going to do? They could have, I guess. But when you look at just how the game played out and what we know about the two coaching staffs, one coaching staff made adjustments and had a fantastic second half, and the other one didn't make any adjustments and was just happy with doing the exact same things as they were in the second in the first half. So, I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, if they punch that in or they get a, something happens here, that's going to happen in any game. I don't know that it would have changed the game all that much, to be quite honest. I mean, it would have changed the momentum at the beginning, but Florida State did not come out guns a blazing. They, I know they scored on their first drive right after they got that huge goal line stand, but overall they started slow in the game overall, only 14 points in the first half. They made a ton of adjustments in the second half. I'm thinking about the two back sets that they got on the field to kind of counteract the defensive line pressure that LSU was getting. And once Florida state started making adjustments, LSU just really had no answer for them. So I don't know that that would have changed the game overall personally. Yeah. I mean, Florida state won this game by three touchdowns. Uh, you'd score one more on the front end. That's nice. Maybe you could take the air out of it. Maybe it changes it. But I think when you have the experience, that Travis brings with them and, and you have the, the coaching staff that's familiar with them and especially the leadership on defense too, with as many pieces as they bring back on defense, that's not going to sway a defense just because they get down early or give up a couple of scores early. That doesn't happen when you have guys on that defense who can step up and be the voice and say, Hey guys, like we need to we need to step it up, right? This ain't getting it done. This ain't going to cut it. We need to go get the ball back to our offense. Let them do it. That's, that's just, it's that that's not going to happen when you're playing those kinds of team, Right. And so I, I think this would have been the result anyways. Like I said, I think the better team won anyways. Maybe LSU makes it more competitive if they jump out to a bigger lead. But they scored, what, 31 unanswered coming out of halftime? Like, that's that's not a fluke. That's not like nothing happened, right? That's that's a pretty massive adjustment at halftime that, you know, LSU simply didn't have an answer for. And it felt like the moment got too big for them. And the moment seemed just fine for Florida State. And maybe that shows a difference in experience or a difference in leadership. I don't know what it is, but, you know, at the end of the day, Florida State did what they needed to do. LSU just didn't. Tell you what, Florida State's receiving core is scary. Between Keon Coleman, you have Johnny Wilson, who struggled with some drops tonight, no doubt. But when he was able to turn it on, uh, seven catches, 104 yards, a long of 22 yards. You've got Jaheim Bell, the South Carolina tight end transfer, who – didn't do much for the vast majority of the game, but had two catches late, a touchdown. I believe the last Florida State touchdown was thrown to Jaheim Bell. Um, and then you've got Lawrence Toafili, who is you know a running back by trade, but boy, he's really good at coming out of the backfield, running those halfback angle routes and getting open over the middle of the field, running a wheel route as well. 
there there's so many weapons for for Jordan Travis to to hit and execute with and I think Florida State is, is going to be a team to watch every single week appointment viewing the rest of the season uh, before we move uh, up the coast to the Queen City just a quick hitter from each of you here let's start with you what constitutes success for Brian Kelly and LSU the rest of this year I think you got to get back to Atlanta I mean I'm, I'm gonna be honest I think getting back to Atlanta playing in the championship game you know beating Alabama, you know, taking care of business with the rest of the SEC West, not losing that late game to A&M at the end of the year, even if you have it wrapped up, that's what looks like success. Even if they don't win it, I mean, obviously you would prefer to win the SEC, prefer to win your conference, get to the playoff. But even if you don't win it, go back to the championship game, have another chance there and show your fans that you haven't, you know, completely fallen apart just because of an early season, you know, getting smacked in the face, right? You got to get back on the ball, got to get back to playing good on the offensive line. But if you can do that, you know, go in some games and, and show your fans that it's not all doom and gloom. You can get back from this. Yeah, we said before this game, before in our preview, we said that neither one of these teams is going to be eliminated from the playoff contention with a loss here. We saw LSU lose to Florida State last year and still get to Atlanta. So that's ultimately the goal. And I'm with you, Garrett. I think that for that fan base, you have to make it to Atlanta for it to be a successful mm -hmm. season at the bare minimum. I don't even think they were happy with making it to Atlanta last year. They kind of gave him a pass since it was year one and they were excited to get there because it was year one. But, you know, if you read the tea leaves of that fan base, I don't think that they were necessarily happy with the outcome down the stretch of that season last year. So right. there's a lot of questions being asked in Baton Rouge right now. Tigerdroppings.com, The server has crashed. I'm seeing on Twitter. <laughs> so, the seat's starting to get warm, fellas. That uh, you got to win and you got to win quick in Baton Rouge to appease that fan base. And back-to-back -back losses to Florida State and this one just not even being competitive in the second half is not going to endear yourself to that family. I'm I'm thrilled I changed my pick after all offseason saying I feel like the ball bounces LSU's way. It didn't bounce. It, it, you know, didn't go Florida State's way for the reasons that that I kind of outlined. Um, the passing attack just bludgeoned LSU's secondary into compliance, which, to be fair, was one thing that we highlighted, right, as, as a concern for LSU. You only had one starter back. The rest of the guys were transfers or new faces, and uh, they looked like they need some seasoning um, for, for sure. So, you know, season's not over for LSU, but my goodness, it is a unforeseen – roadblock that I don't think a lot of LSU fans were counting on. I think a lot of Cajuns were expecting to, to take care of business tonight, and it was the exact opposite. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Let's head on up the coast. As I mentioned, Carolina is Tar Heel Blue tonight as uh, North Carolina beats South Carolina 31-17. North Carolina dominated this game, guys, especially in the trenches. Um... The offensive line for South Carolina and the defensive line for that matter, we were really concerned about heading into this game. What is the offensive line going to do in a patchwork uh, fashion? Can the defensive line get any sort of pressure 
on Drake May. Um, the answers to those questions were were not all that encouraging. In fact, I was listening to the South Carolina broadcast driving back from our watch party um, Saturday night, and guys, I mean, they were depressed. They they the score they only lost by seven or by fourteen, excuse me. But in reality, it felt like a much larger gap. South Carolina gave up nine sacks. 16 tackles for loss and rushed for a total of negative two yards. North Carolina's defense stepped up in a way that none of us expected. We thought this was going to be an offensive shootout. In fact, Spencer Rattler was actually the better quarterback in this game. Uh, 350 yards passing, a couple of touchdowns, really had a sensational game, but he was let down by the rest of a roster that we were concerned was not as complete as kind of the Twitter momentum would have you believe, Trey, I'm I'm really concerned about South Carolina. On the other hand, I'm I may believe that North Carolina can weather this ACC schedule and be a, a threat to reach the conference championship game. Oh yeah, if the defense plays like they did last night, then the ACC needs to be put on notice that this is a true championship contender in Chapel Hill. Mitch, you highlighted the offensive side of the ball for South Carolina. The defense wasn't any better. The defensive line, the front seven, just got bullied by the North Carolina offensive line, plain and simple. No sacks, one tackle for loss throughout the entire game. Uh, I know they got a couple takeaways from the secondary. We highlighted that the secondary could be a problem for uh, Drake May, and that proved to be a little bit true, but... Listen, it, it was not as close as the score indicated. It, it was close throughout the first half. North Carolina played with their food a little bit, but when the rubber met the road in the second half, North Carolina just put the put their boot on the neck of the Gamecocks and stomped them, just stomped them into the ground. And it was, it was domination up front on both sides of the ball. South Carolina did not look like an SEC team. They, they did not look like the team with the SEC patch on their jersey. That definitely looked like North Carolina. Garrett, it's, it's hard to win in this league if you can't run, if you don't have an offensive line to to pass protect or to move move the pile and, and allow that ground game to get going. South Carolina was was abysmal on third down. They didn't convert a fourth down in four attempts. Um, I think Gamecock fans might have to really take a long look in the mirror here and and figure out okay, what is our what's our identity going to be because if it's just Spencer Rattler running around and chucking the ball downfield 50 times a game, that's probably not going to work week in and week out. Yeah. Especially when you get to a better, you know, defensive output. I know that UNC played great getting to the quarterback, but not a great effort on the back end, right? Giving up 353 to Spencer Rattler isn't wonderful. And, and you could say that that's partially just because the run game wasn't working and that's all they had and they played from behind and everything else, but it's still not good defensively if you're looking at that but South Carolina like you're saying Mitch they're gonna play some better defenses they're gonna play some better you know secondaries and they're gonna have to figure something out to to I mean fill up the gaping holes in the ship if they're you know gonna float through the rest of this SEC schedule I I don't know what the answer is right now I know that you don't want to overreact to things maybe it's just as much as saying okay well that didn't work we had the wrong game plan scrap that back to the drawing board let's go to the next game it might be as easy as that, but man, like that kind of a game does not sit with you well. That kind of a game is not going to be something that you feel good about, um, you know, going forward in the next couple of weeks. And so, you know, especially looking at, and this is something we'll talk about later, but looking at some of the score outputs 
from SEC teams and some of the massive numbers put up by a lot of those teams that are on the schedule. Um, yeah, it, it's not wonderful right now to be a Gamecock fan. Um, and, and that's also noting that UNC probably didn't play their best game. Drake may turn the ball over twice, wasn't remarkable through the air. Um, you, you play a quarterback with a better performance. You play a quarterback who plays a little bit better, um, brings his A game. It, things could get ugly there in South Carolina for the for the Beamer ball. So unfortunate for Spencer Rattler. He really has a good game, nine nine yards a, a pass, um, but his QBR at 44, he doesn't throw a touchdown. He doesn't throw a pick. Uh, Xavier Leggett had a great game, nine catches, 178 yards. He looked like a dude for South Carolina, but the fact that they never once got a passing touchdown into the end zone is really concerning yep. for the Gamecocks. They, they're, both their touchdowns came on the ground, short yardage situations. Uh, Dakari and Joyner had a six-yard scamper. Juju McDowell, a two-yard scamper. That That's it. That, that was the rushing output for South Carolina. So, you know, certainly I don't I, I don't know if it's a rivalry game. Both teams played hard. It was very clear North Carolina was the better team on that field. I think stock up for North Carolina, stock down for South Carolina. But once again, week one, a lot of uh, hiccups to iron out. A lot of things can change between now and the end of the regular season. I do feel pretty good, though, that the issues we highlighted in this game came to fruition, right? It feels like we have a pulse on what determines success for each of these teams. I think the ceiling for North Carolina is just so much higher at this point than it is for South Carolina. As I told you guys, and I think we talked about this in the SEC preview, for me, South Carolina is a 2024-2025 team, not a 2023 team. I think everyone's crowning them just a year or two early. We'll see what Shane Beamer can put together uh, heading into the rest of this season and then obviously the next couple of seasons as his recruiting classes get on campus. Uh, those are our big three games that we highlighted. Obviously, three of the big biggest storylines. Colorado burst onto the scene. They wormed their way all the way to the top spot. Guys, let's go down now conference scoreboards. Let's start out with the Pac-12, the first conference to start 13-0 in the modern era. If you had bet me a lot of money that I could guess what conference that would be, I would never have taken the Pac-12. But because USC is now 2-0, Pac-12 has uh, started the season 13-0. And let's start first with Utah in Florida. Uh, a low-scoring game, 14th-ranked Utes welcome Florida uh, to town on Thursday night. And boy, Utah's defense did exactly what we thought it would do. It was physical, it was nasty, and it harassed Graham Mertz all night long. Graham Mertz actually kind of looked decent the first, I don't know, two, three drives of the game. But Trey, after that, uh, there was just nothing that went right. Florida played undisciplined. They had some really silly penalties. And, and Billy Napier, for, for all the staff that he has, right, the largest staff in the country, as far as support staff goes, associate head coaches, et cetera, they looked underprepared. And, and just like the guys were not ready to play against a Utah team that was missing their starting quarterback. And a lot of the penalties they had were game management penalties on the coaching staff, like two guys wearing the same number on a punt return, right? Yeah, that unreal. extends a drive and gives Utah a touchdown. It's just the jokes write themselves when you have the largest staff in the country and you having things like that happen. 
And speaking of teams that just didn't look like SEC teams or didn't look like they should have an SEC patch on their jersey, Florida's another team that just got bullied up front by Utah's defensive line. They couldn't run the ball. 13 total rushing yards. Graham Mertz was forced to pass the ball 45 times. I don't think that Florida's going to win a lot of games if Graham Mertz has to pass the ball 45 (laughs) times this year. And I think that the coaching staff would tell you that too. So nothing was working on the ground. They were forced into it. And credit Utah for having a fantastic game plan uh, for Florida this year. And look, I think they had three trips to the red zone before the very end of the game, and they came away with three points. So it was just a comedy of errors for the Florida Gators up in Salt Lake City. Game they really want to forget really quickly, and a game they're going to have to forget because the schedule doesn't get much easier throughout the rest of the year. Garrett, you were saying this Utah defense might be the best that Kyle Whittingham had ever had. The defensive line is just nasty. And then you get Bryson Barnes and Nick Johnson both playing kind of intermittent roles at the quarterback spot. They were very solid. What did you take away from Utah uh, after this opening win? Well, what I took away from Utah is they're going to be really good this year when Cam Rising gets back. And that's maybe a, you know, if as opposed to a win, because he said he would be back for week one. Now we don't know anyways, but no, I mean, you, you come out there, you, they had to hear all last season that, you know, they went down to the swamp and they got bullied and, you know, they weren't ready. They're frauds. They're not tough. And that's their identity. That's what they build their brand on, that they're tough. They can you know, kind of be the physical team out there in the Pac-12. And to hear that all offseason clearly did not sit well with them because they came out and they, they punched Florida in the mouth and they were clearly the more physical team. I was so impressed, just the, the gumption to come out there on that first play on offense and hit a 70-yard bomb that was I mean, awesome. that Play was amazing i, I right, left off the couch i was like so i was like yes utah we are back let's do this i was so excited i mean that's it's just fun right because you know you're saying you're missing cam rising how are they going to move the football i thought they were going to have to lean way heavier on the run than they did what they do they come out there first play 70 yards i was like wow he you got to say he is on pace to have the greatest season of all time through one pass attempt like <laughs> he, he was incredible. So no, I was I was really impressed with Utah. Obviously, maybe not the highest scoring output for for a team that averaged over forty, I think, last season. But you got to give Florida a little credit. They did play some good defense against some backup quarterbacks uh, at times. And so you know there there's some mess ups, but give them the credit. They they played okay defense against some some good um some some good Utah players there. So. Uh, I'm excited to see what happens for the Utes going forward. I'm excited to see what happens when Cam's back. But, uh, you know, we'll we'll have to wait and see uh, and, and keep playing from there. I thought running backs were going to be a big story of that game. Jaquindon Jackson, five carries, 15 yards. Trevor yeah. Etienne, seven carries, 25 yards. Um, I could not imagine a, a game taking place where the running backs were not featured, and, and yet that wasn't the case at all. Utah didn't need to go to the running backs all that consistently, and Florida couldn't get anything going because their offensive line was getting bullied just about every snap. Uh, Trey, you mentioned um, Mertz had to throw the ball 44 times. Not a recipe for success uh, for the Florida Gators this year, next year, maybe any year under Billy Napier. Uh a team that does want to throw the ball 44 times, as many times as they possibly can. Let's go to number 10, Washington, blowing the doors off Boise State, 56-19. Trey, this was a close game early on. In fact, Boise State shut out Washington in the fourth quarter, but Michael Penix Jr. 
decided to launch his Heisman campaign in the second quarter. They scored 28 points, went on to obviously blow it away. Um, 40, or 450 yards, five touchdowns for Michael Penix Jr. Every, every time he drops back, it looks like you could have a Twitter clip ready to go. Absolutely. And their offense is just tailor-made for his skill set. They love to air it out deep. He loves to chuck it up to his talented receivers. And they create a ton of mismatches down the field that Boise just eventually had no answers for. Boise did play tough. I want to give hats off to them because they were outmanned and outmatched. Taylor Green, you know, struggled through the air, but I think they should have given him some more opportunities to make some plays with his legs early. I think that would have gotten him settled in a little bit more with a hostile crowd, but Washington was just too good and they're still, you know, looking good, looking on track to, you know, push for not just a Pac-12 championship, but I really do think that they have a great shot to sneak into the college football playoff. I would, I would just like to take a moment to recognize Romo Dunze, uh, seven <laughs> catches, 132 yards. Listen, I got a lot of hate uh, on a Twitter thread when I picked Odunze to win the Bolitnikoff award, everyone else and their mother picked Marvin Harrison jr. And I got accused of being different just for click's sake. Well, Marvin Harrison Jr. had two catches for 18 yards yesterday, Mr. Twitter person. Uh, Odunze is a, a feature of that offense. And it's not just going to be Rome. It's going to be Polk. It's going to be McMillan. You have so many weapons up there in Washington that the ball is going to get distributed. I mean, heck, Penix Jr. is throwing for 450 yards. That's a warm-up. I promise you that will not be the high watermark that he throws for throughout the course of this year. But you have Odunze putting up numbers like that all year long. He will be a finalist for the Bolitnikoff. Wasn't doing it for clicks. Doing it because I know ball, and I'm really excited <laughs> to watch the Washington Huskies this season. Uh, Garrett, the, the rest of the Pac-12 slate was a little bit unremarkable. You have number 15 Oregon doing unspeakable things to Portland State. They hang 81 on, uh, on directional state. Uh, Cal beats you in, quick, man. That, that. <laughs> yeah, poor, poor host to say the least. Cal puts up 58 on North Texas, uh, to, to beat the mean green handily. Uh, USC blows out Nevada, uh, 66 14, Washington State 50, Colorado State 24. UCLA kind of struggles with Coastal 27 13, but eventually they pull it away. Uh, Trey, unfortunately, the over did not, in fact, hit in that game. Um, I can't believe we, we kept it to, uh, what is that? 40 points. Uh, but indeed we did Arizona 38, Northern Arizona three and Oregon state beats San Jose state 42, 17, uh, Garrett, as you look through the rest of those games, is there anything that stands out to you from the conference of champions? Well, a couple of things. Number one, Cal blowing up was clearly not something I think any of us expected massive no. output for them. Um, we'll see if they can keep that up against a team with a pulse or a fan base, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens for Cal going forward in the season. Green alone, sir. Hey, look, I've got some insiders on the, on the scene. Nobody was at that football game. Um, so there's, there's a hundred, it was 110. I, I don't necessarily blame them. I, I wouldn't blame them either. Um, Oregon, look, it's not impressive to beat the crap out of a five-year-old. So like, that's not, that's not something I would encourage. Um, but that's what Oregon decided to do. They decided to hang 81 on Portland state because they felt bad or something. I don't know. Maybe Bo Nix woke up on the wrong side of the bed. He was amazing. Sensational. Bo was fantastic. They um, went and for then, two on their first touchdown. And I made the comment that that wasn't very nice. And they were just <laughs> getting started. Right. I mean, you can't nice do that. 
you can't do that. That's not very nice to your friends down there in Portland. Um, and, and then obviously, you know, you're looking at USC that last week, not a great performance defensively this week, getting back on top of it, 14 points allowed to Nevada. Um, it, it's it's going to have to be better for him on defense. Obviously, that was one thing that we talked about. And it was certainly better against Nevada. Let's see what happens going forward. But they still roll on offense. 66 feels like a pedestrian number for them at this point. So um, good job, USC. You're doing your thing again. Um, and, and let's see if you can match some of that defense against better opponents later in the year. Yeah, can we really talk done. about DJU really quickly? Well, I was, I was going State. to give him a shout out. Yep. DJU yeah, uh, at Oregon State. Boy, he, he turned it on today. 20 of 25, 239 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, a 92.9 QBR. A lot of people were saying that they didn't like the scheme fit that they were trying to run at Clemson for DJU and that after Tony Elliott left for Virginia, that's really when things started to spiral for him. I, I, We'll see. I don't know. It's just one game. It's just San Jose State, not the most you know electric competition. We've seen this from DJU before against not great secondaries, but – I'm excited. I, my, my expectations have been heightened just a bit for what we can see from him at Oregon State this year. Kind of rude of future Mountain West uh, champion Oregon State to light up their their conference foe like that. But, um, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. It was so awkward. The CBS crew was like the D-tier CBS crew. They had the brand new Mountain West commissioner in. They asked her, I believe, three questions. And then the guy was like, all right, well, thanks for joining us. And the interview lasted less than five minutes. It was, and and all they asked her was like, hey, so how nervous are you about the Mountain West? Or like, what conversations are you having? You know, it's just very, very strange. But uh, DJU was the show. And uh, boy, he did not disappoint. Let's go on over to the SEC. Uh, A couple of top teams, top five teams. Let's start there. The reigning national champions, Georgia Bulldogs, 48, UT Martin, 7. Also, I want to lump in Alabama, the fourth-ranked team in the country, 56. They beat, uh, or I'm sorry, they score 56 over Middle Tennessee State, who manages just 7. The kind of common thread between these two teams is they're breaking in a new starting quarterback, Carson Beck for Georgia, Jalen Milrow, for Alabama, both teams had very sluggish starts in the first half. Now, eventually went on to put away their respective teams, but uh, is there any concern for you guys on offense uh, for either the Georgia Bulldogs or the Alabama Crimson Tide? Alabama obviously has to get ready for Texas at home this next week. Garrett, I felt like Jalen Milrow kind of salvaged it. He only threw for 195 yards, but... Alabama's not going to run the same offense that they did last year where they're going to spread it out and air it down the field. In fact, Jalen Milrow, within the scheme that he played in, I thought looked pretty good. Yeah, and a lot better than we thought, right? We were all expecting this to look like what we saw last year. Apparently, he made a jump this year. Uh, maybe Tommy Reese is the goat and we just don't know it, but you know, we'll see, we'll see how the rest of the season goes. Yeah. I don't think so either. Well, I, I just thought, you know, look, when you're looking across the league, there were massive outputs against pretty much everybody. You also notice almost nobody was good on the opponent's side. So um, it look, it's, it's early. It certainly looked like it worked. It's better than it not looking like it works, right? It's better than coming out there and, you know, missing a bunch of passes and everything else. But I'm curious, there were a couple balls that he threw that ended up scoring where I wondered, is that a little overthrown or is that a little underthrown? And you're just getting away with it because you don't have as good of a, as good a secondary play. Like there was one where 
the receiver had to kind of run in a few yards. And I think, you know, okay, if you're playing, you know, LSU, A&M, Arkansas later in the season, that ball's probably picked. Um, and, and, you know, I, I wonder if that can continue. But for now, he looks pretty good. Um, I kind of expected Carson Beck to look good. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think it was just kind of a how fast can he settle into that. But, you know, Milrow, a lot better than I thought he was going to be. Beck started slowly, and I think he picked it up as the game went on. He, he threw for almost 300 yards, didn't throw an interception. So a lot of green flags for me there. Vandergriff uh, came in as well and played pretty well in his limited action. I think he only threw three passes. But um, I think for Carson Beck, it's going to depend on can he find some chemistry with some of the wide receiver options. We know that Brock Bowers is going to be there, but I want to see how quickly he develops chemistry with the wide receiver options and – you know, if they can develop a true alpha wide receiver, look out in this offense. Just a guy that can take over the game and take some defenders, take some attention off of Brock Bowers. Guys, just a moment to celebrate the positivity that we witnessed in College Station. Texas A&M hangs 52 on the New Mexico Lobos, 52-10, the final score there. Connor Wegman uh, led the country on Saturday in QBR. He threw for five touchdowns in just three quarters. And uh, AM's offense, I think, went a long way to silence the haters that said, oh, Jimbo and Bobby Petrino will never work together. Again, week one, I hear that. But AM had not done something like that in quite a long time. In fact, we were remarking as we were watching that Wegman made it look so effortless, so easy, even when he was under pressure. His off-platform throws, his ability to keep his eyes downfield and find his receiver, and and not just find a receiver, but drop it in a bucket at times. It's something that we haven't seen in over a decade in Aggieland. I think, for me, the questions kind of shift more away from the offense. I'm curious to see how the running game goes, but they shift away from the offense and more towards the defensive side of the ball as they prepare to go to Miami. Definitely. And I think, you know, the secondary, we, we commented that it can only go down from being the number one pass rank defense. But Josh DeBerry, I think, was a really real bright spot. Had a sack out of the secondary, had an interception. Um, really nice game for him uh, in his debut coming over from Boston College. And look, I, I think the linebacker play is a little concerning. The defensive line is, of course, going to be a bunch of monsters. But when the offense puts up 52, there's not a lot to complain about, right? First time since 2019, so many sighs of relief coming out of college station. I think we could hear them all the way from Dallas uh, as the first drives were punched in for t- first five drives were punched in for touchdowns in college station. If, if they're doing that on offense, that, that makes the defense just be able to breathe a little bit easier. And it, it's going to make things a lot more fun to watch in college station. Garrett, it, it feels like, for the first time in a long time as well, AM has a really good wide receiver core uh, to, to go to bat with. It's, it's hard to just target one guy and feel like your secondary is secure. Yeah, it's it's pretty stacked there. Noah Thomas had a breakout party. Um, lots of people are very excited about him and his development, what he could do. Uh, he had three touchdown catches. Didn't even lead the team in terms of receiving yardage. That was Evan Stewart. He caught you know a whole bunch of balls for a whole bunch of yards and a couple of touchdowns and and that's not to mention guys last year that had massive breakouts as well. Moose Muhammad had a big breakout last year. He had a touchdown, but only I think twelve yards receiving or something small like that. Um, and Anias obviously wasn't a huge factor in terms of the the passing game, but still had a couple of catches. 
Um, end of the day, I think you have to look at this and say that this is a much better, much revamped offense. A lot of people, you know, I know, we all know that a lot of people had tweets saved from this offseason ready to talk about how this offense is the same. I told you Petrino was ever something, something neck brace, right? Everything was going to be, you know, the all time to hate on AM and their offense again. And I get it because it was garbage last year. It was atrocious. Uh, it hasn't been that good for a couple of years, but it really looks like they were elite, you know, maybe really, really good, not quite elite, but really good quarterback play. So, some really good, you know, receiver talent, maybe just a couple things away from having a really good offense. I don't know if it's Petrino. I don't know if Wigman took a step. I don't know if it's just the fact that they know who their good receivers are and they're playing them now. Maybe it was just the fact that those 18 year olds are 19 this year. I, I don't know what it is, but clearly something is working in Aggieland. Um, is it against New Mexico? Yeah, but there were some really good place balls. There, there was some really, really good deep touch from Wigman that I don't care who you're playing. I don't care if it's Miami next week. I don't care if it's Bama's corners in a you know month or so. Those passes get completed against really good corners. So excited to see what happens. And uh, yeah, we'll keep rolling with that. Maybe that'll silence some haters. Uh, elsewhere around the league, Kentucky beats Ball State 44-14. Devin Leary a little underwhelming to start. Uh, only 241 yards, touchdown, and a pick, but Kentucky eventually pulls away. Missouri beats San Diego, or I'm sorry, San Diego State. I knew I was going to do that. South Dakota State, 35-10. to uh, Number 12, Tennessee, boat races, Virginia, 49-13. That was the first game that Virginia had played since the tragic shooting um, last year that canceled the rest of their season. Uh, number 22, Ole Miss beats Mercer, 73-7. to Auburn wins Hugh Freeze's debut 59-14 over UMass. Mississippi State drubs Southeastern Louisiana 48-7, and Vandy takes down Alabama A&M 47-14. Let's move over to the Big Ten, where we had some, some headlines for sure in the Big Ten. I, I think the Pac-12 and the Big Ten may be two of the most newsworthy conferences in Week 1. Uh, number seven, Penn State beats West Virginia 38-15. Trey, the headlines to me were Drew Aller's really good. 325 yards, three touchdowns, did not turn the ball over. But also, West Virginia, like you actually said in the preview, you didn't end up getting the cover, but you said West Virginia is going to do some weird things on offense. And West Virginia, I, I didn't get the feeling that they were pulling out all of this trickeration, but... Pleasantly surprised by what we saw from Garrett Green, the ground game as well, 146 yards for the Mountaineers. Listen, you only score 14 or 15 points in a really tough road environment, but it wasn't a total disaster. And maybe for the Mountaineers, that's a step in the right direction. I felt so vindicated when they ran that little ring around the rosy thing for the last <laughs> two point conversion. I was like, look, what did I tell you guys? Neil Brown. That's so stupid. Neil Brown does not care this year. He is just going to do whatever he no. wants. And yeah, maybe that's going to equate to some wins down the road against less talented teams. But Penn State is just way too talented. Um, almost got the cover that I wanted, but Penn State scores a late, uh, late bad beat touchdown uh, that really wasn't necessary. Thank you, James Franklin. But um, we'll see. We'll see how far that carries them this year. I don't think that it's going to lead to a ton of wins, but it could steal one or two in the Big 12. Number three, Ohio State beats Indiana 23-3. to uh, Garrett, we're used to this score being much higher. Indiana hadn't beaten Ohio State since the 80s, and that obviously will have to wait 
at least another year, but Ohio State's offense was very underwhelming in this game. The Ryan Day slander is back. The offense looked out of sync, and you didn't even get your best player involved. As I mentioned earlier in the show, Marvin Harrison Jr., two catches for 18 yards. Do you put the blame more on Kyle McCord or on Ryan Day and the offensive scheme? I'm going to put the blame on game one. I know it's not necessarily like me to defend the Buckeyes on this podcast. No, it's not. Somebody saved this. But I'm going to be nice to Joe for today. Um, We're we're going to be nice. Um, Look, you're breaking in a new quarterback. And I know that the only thing that I heard in the offseason was, how could you think this is new? He's been in the system for years. He's going to know exactly what he's doing. And I said, it's going to take him a minute. But the open is pretty soft. You know, Ohio State doesn't have to play a good team for a month. And early, I mean, you know, you played Notre Dame a little bit, but seems like for the first month of the season, it's a, it's a soft open to the schedule. And, and he's going to have a few games to to really, you know, open things up, right? He's going to have a couple of games to figure things out, look at some tape, and figure out what he did wrong. And look, I, I if you're me, I would have rather had the game Ohio State had than the game that Alabama had because there's more things to correct on tape in this game than there is in what Jalen Milrow had or with what Carson Beck had at Georgia, right? These are new quarterbacks trying to break into their system, and I'd rather have them learn from mistakes early so they can see what they did wrong and make those corrections than just have a, hey, you played a bad team and you went off. Congratulations. Now, I know that's not what Ohio State fans want to hear. Ohio State fans wanted to see them score 50-plus and have no issues and everything was great, but at the same time, that's not what's going to happen when you get punched in the face against Notre Dame. That's not what's going to happen when you get punched in the face against Michigan or against Penn State or one of these other big teams that you're playing this year. You have to be careful. You have to be you have to be aware of your mistakes early. I'd much rather have a week to prepare for that or a couple weeks to prepare for that than have to talk to him at halftime in one of those games and say, hey, uh, by the way, uh, they're doing this and you can't do that anymore, right? And so, look, was it amazing? No. Are there probably a lot of reasons to be concerned if you're Ohio State? Yeah. But right now, breathe in, breathe out, deep breath. Let's slow it down for a second. You still have one of the most talented wide receiver cores. You still have one of the most talented rosters. Your defense held them to three points all game. Let, let's relax, right? You, you scored not very much in the first game last year, and then you ended up in the playoffs. So let's let's relax. Let's take it easy. Things are going to be okay for the Ohio State Buckeyes fans. That is hands down the nicest thing you've ever said about Ohio State. So I'm trying to be better this year, you know. Buckeye fans, I mean, <laughs> savor savor this moment because this is this is a new one. A new man. Um, if you get up. boat raced by uh, Notre Dame, I'm not going to be nice. <laughs> that's that's fair. And hey, the way that that Sam Hartman's slinging it, uh, that Notre may Dame. be a possibility. Look out. Uh, Elsewhere, you guys tell me where we want to go. Trey, Iowa beats Utah State 24-14. Um, a little bit of history there for, for Kirk Ferrell. No um, Fresno State upsets Purdue 39-35. And then, of course, there's the Nebraskaning that I'm terming. Um, they lose a game in a way that only Nebraska could lose. They lose to Minnesota on Thursday night 13-10. Uh, which of those three games kind of tickles your fancy? Well, let's talk Iowa real quick because Nebraska is trusting the process. I, I don't think anybody went into that game. I, they thought they could win as that game developed, but I, I don't think we're really, you know, it's not trashing the program. It's not going to burn the program to the ground that they lost. Obviously, 
Just the jokes right themselves at this point about Nebraska in one score games, but we're not going to go there. Um, there's no way that stat's true, Mitch. That, that Iowa hasn't it's, scored on an opening drive in 32 years. Until of, of the first game. Of the first game. Right, right, right. That, even that. But yes. The opening drive of the season. It's been 32 years since they scored on an opening drive of the season. That's correct. The last time that Iowa scored on the opening drive of a season, which they did it this year, Cade McNamara threw a 37-yard touchdown pass. The last time Vaunted Hawkeyes had done that was 1991, gentlemen. Oh the God. first time in Kurt Ferentz's illustrious career, 25-year career at the helm, that he has ever done that. So, hey, uh, you were, know, if you're were any college, of us around in 1991? Because I know I was. <laughs> I, I was not. Um, if if you are new to college football, if you are new to the shadow realm, to Iowa. Um, the lack of offense is not necessarily a new thing for the Hawkeyes. So, listen, they raced out to a 14-point lead. I think Iowa Hawkeye fans were were maybe fanning themselves, getting a little hot and bothered over all the points early in the game, and then they only scored 10 in the remaining three quarters. Despite a 14-0 eruption, they still fall a point shy of Brian Ferentz's quota of 25 points a game that he has to reach to keep his contract alive. Trey, it felt like we were going to start building up some cushion here, but th- that's that's honestly nope. shame on us. Oh, yeah. We, we should have known that someone was going to put in a call, say that that wasn't allowed in the state of <laughs> Iowa, that 14 points is way too many for one quarter. We need to slow it down a little bit. There's children in that stadium, Mitch. There's children. We can't we can't. And outside that. of the stadium, and outside. waving to folks at the Kinnick Wave. Well, yes, and we can't have any of those children inside or outside of the stadium. We can't we can't have their dreams and their innocence just shattered by, you know, embarrassing the other team by scoring that many points. So we, we can't do that. That this is Iowa. We can't we can't have that in our in our wholesome situation. So it's a family it's a family affair at Iowa. How is how is Iowa supposed to win without punting, guys? I mean, that was that was a question they were not prepared to answer uh, in the first quarter. Um, but they do get the win by 10 over Utah State. Um, Garrett Boyd, Purdue had a chance, and I feel like in West Lafayette, we call them the spoiler makers. Mikey Keene threw the Uno reverse card and threw for 366 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, Eric Brooks had himself a day. Nine catches, 166 yards, and a tutter. Um, the big stat for me, Garrett, I don't know if it's – this easy to win when it's this way 13 minutes of time of possession edge for the fresno state bulldogs is breaking a new offense a new head coach when you're down by an entire quarter in ball possession that's not a recipe for success well and that's how that offense is supposed to work you're not supposed to hold on to the ball for very long anyways but uh yeah you gotta go score and so uh you know 35 not a bad offensive output but Defense was just non-existent there. So, you know, get your team back on the field, uh, Purdue defense, and maybe we'll say something. I said before the game that, you know, Purdue might be a little bit slept on, but maybe they were just asleep. I don't I don't know what the deal was with Purdue. So just nice to see that the Shadow Realm is back. You know, I'm kind of yeah. happy to see that, you know, there were some weird outcomes back there in the Shadow Realm. I'm glad to see it for another season. I, I hope you guys are with me on that one. I'm excited to maybe go take the plunge on this division one more time. 
Yeah, uh, Illinois Toledo got weird and Toledo yeah, almost yeah. got set there. Wisconsin started slow. It was a great day all around for the Shadow Realm. Yeah. Uh, we we mentioned it Minnesota 13, Nebraska 10. Nebraska outplayed Minnesota basically the entire game. Minnesota's working in a new offense without Tanner Morgan, Mo Ibrahim. In fact, did you guys know that PJ Fleck has a losing record if Tanner Morgan is not starting at quarterback? That was a concerning stat for the Gophers, but they do end up winning thanks in part to once again turnovers for the Cornhuskers. Um, a fumble by Anthony Grant on the penultimate drive, a I mean, horrific, you don't even do this in NCAA 14, interception thrown by Jeff Sims, his third of the day, throwing late over the middle, uh, ultimately sealed the deal for the Huskers. Um, for our Nebraska fans, we won't torture you any more than that. Uh, number two, Michigan rolls over East Carolina, 30-3. Uh, to three. Not much to say other than the weird tribute to Jim Harbaugh, the free Harbaugh shirt worn by J.J. McCarthy. I don't know if anyone informed him that's a self-imposed uh, sanction. So, you know, take it up with the athletic department, I guess. Wisconsin, Trey, you mentioned a, a slow start. Tanner Mor- Mordecai did not have a good game, uh, but the, the Badgers do win 38-17 over Buffalo. Michigan State also overcomes a slow start and a deficit to the chips of Central Michigan. They eventually win 31-7. Uh, Illinois beats Toledo in a last-second field goal, 30-28, to and Maryland starts the Road to 10 wins, according to Garrett. Strong, and they beat Townsend 38-6. to Hey, Talia looked great in that game. Give that man some credit. I said he was a great quarterback. I said he was best in Big Ten. I might be hanging on to that a little bit longer. Had a big scramble to score at the very beginning of the game. Tossed a few more. I'm I'm vibing with it, man. Go Terps. Garrett, you might look good against Towson in your current state playing quarterback. I'm not going to lie, though. <laughs> hey, yeah. I mean, even with the with the bionic arm, yeah, we, could, we can maybe do something about that. <laughs> He's a great uh, quarterback, though. I'm excited to see him play. This he is game. very good. And the script jerseys look look phenomenal. Oh, they were clean. In both the clean. red and the black that they'll show us later on this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, two more conferences to get through, as well as some group of five stuff, so we'll pick up the pace a little bit. The Big 12, highlighted by two upsets, and they're not of the friendly variety. If you are a fan of the Big 12, Wyoming Knocks off Texas Tech 35-33 in double overtime. Texas State beats Baylor 42-31 on the banks of the Brazos. Uh, Trey, Texas State gets their first Power 5 win in program history. The G.J. Kinney era is well underway, and T.J. Finley looked like the quarterback that Auburn and LSU had hoped for. Yeah, T.J. Finley was awesome in this game i can't can't remember the guy's name but the the catch down the sideline might be a catch of the year candidate already in week one no gloves going up and grabbing it keeping the drive alive for his team awesome day for the guys from san marcus like sleep when i talk about like a sleeping giant program one of the biggest pro uh schools in the state of texas never done anything at the top level of college football i think they have a national championship at d2 but just never really done anything since they moved up to Division One, but maybe they're starting to build something. Maybe you know Jake Spavadol had a really dumb recruiting strategy, just completely abandoned high school recruiting, and maybe Texas State's starting to turn a corner. Maybe this is a, another sign of the, using the transfer portal to completely reinvigorate a team. Garrett, I'm gonna toss you the Texas Tech grenade because uh, you I'm were really high on them. Talk about it, so thank you for doing that. Well, you know that's. <laughs> 
It's uh, the benefits of a three-man show. Sometimes the the wheel of unfortune doesn't uh, doesn't spin to you. Tech just couldn't get the offense going in this game. I mean, Tyler Shuck did not look sharp. The running game was non-existent, and you would have spurts of success for the Red Raiders. Then you look up, and suddenly it's third and fourteen, and they're not able to convert. How concerned are you for Texas Tech after dropping a game up in Laramie? Uh, I mean, if you're looking at the way that a lot of us projected them to be, then uh, the alarm meter is going off right now with sounds. The the red is flashing. I mean, how do you go up to Wyoming and lose that game? And then we're still going to sit here and defend you guys as, you know, going to compete for your conference, might upset the 81-point stomp on a five-year-old Oregon Ducks, right? That's me. I just don't understand, like, how you're supposed to defend that. Like, Oregon's not going to be nice to you either. They're not going to come to your house and be nice. The, the, the crowd will be fired up, but, man, what a disappointment, right? Just what an absolute disappointment from Texas Tech. Like you're saying, Mitch, just completely inconsistent on offense. There were moments it looked good, and then it just fell apart. What that tells you is that it's there. It's not like you don't have anything on offense. It's not like you don't have something that can go right. Was it the focus? Was it the fact that there was a long delay at the beginning of the game, and so they got started late, and they just weren't, you know, like locked in? I, I don't know what it was, but – Big chance for the staff now to try to to figure out what that issue was, get things straightened out. Um, and man, I just find myself not knowing what to say about this one. If I'm being honest, it's it's inexcusable. That's what happens when you have these big time upsets. It was close, no cigar. At least he didn't get stomped by a, a smaller team like Baylor did. But yeah, it's it's just a tough scene for for Texas Tech right now, and and a lot to fix very quickly. Three missed field goals. They they jumped out to a 17 nothing lead, and then the offense just completely shut down until they got a field goal to tie it and send it to overtime. Yep. And look, weird things happen when power teams go to a G5 stadium. That that just is a cardinal rule of college football. Weird things happen when it's a power five at a G5. But even all that being said, it, this is still a game that Texas Tech feels like they should have won, and they absolutely on the field should have won this game. They had multiple yeah. chances to. Now they got to turn around and face Oregon at home, and it doesn't get any easier from there. 14 nothing was the score just a couple minutes into the first quarter. Wasn't that Tech was asleep at the wheel to start? They just then put it in cruise control, and uh, I guess Wyoming, I don't know if they have HOV lanes up there in, in Laramie, but <laughs> Boy, they you know put the blinker on and, and sped quickly, caught up to the Red Raiders, and then eventually uh, passed them. Uh, the newbies go four and zero. Houston upsets UTSA. We we wondered what Vegas knew. The line was only one and a half when we picked. They knew it. Frank Harris was going to throw three interceptions. <laughs> second, only the second time in his illustrious career that he's thrown three picks. He looked terrible. UTSA's offense couldn't get off the ground. They fall to the Cougars, uh, 17 to 14. Cincinnati drubs Eastern Kentucky, 66 13. Emory Jones has a great day in his Cincinnati debut. Excuse me, one of the the nation's leaders in QBR. Uh, UCF blows out Kent State. Thank you to a late cover play uh, for <laughs> the Knights. We were watching that with uh, quite the the ferocious intensity late. I I posited what was it maybe early in the third quarter. How on earth? is this over not going to hit? It's only at 55. And then it took to the waning moment for, uh, for that to hit. Kent state had no intention of, of helping out on the offensive scoreboard. John Reese Plumley, 371 yards uh, and four total touchdowns as well. And then BYU, one of the shakiest games 
of maybe in program history. 14 nothing win over Sam Houston. Um, that was with Sam's quarterback throwing three interceptions. Trey, as you noted before we hit record, I just kept thinking the ESPN app wasn't updating because it was seven to nothing for the longest time. And no, it was right. The Cougars just just couldn't score. But the newbies do go four and zero. Uh, elsewhere around the Big 12, nothing really remarkable. Texas, we'll talk more about them in the next episode when we get ready to preview the Longhorns going to Tuscaloosa. A slow start for Texas, beating Rice 37-10, to 10, but the defense was elite. I will give them that, that cap nod. The concern coming out of this game, Quinn continues to struggle throwing the deep ball, and if you're not able to pick apart the Alabama secondary, I don't think their running game is going to be strong enough this early in the season to beat the Tide. Uh, Oklahoma State does terrible things to Arkansas State. Did you guys see Butch Jones immediately turns around and blames uh, his players? Oklahoma, Oklahoma did stuff to Arkansas. I'm sorry, Oklahoma. Yeah. O- we'll get Oklahoma to State Oklahoma didn't do terrible things to anybody yesterday. No, no they did not. <laughs> Oklahoma, Boomer Sooner, 73, Arkansas State, zero. Yeah, Butch Jones is getting consoled by his, his students, his team on the sideline, and then in the press conference turns around and blames his players for, for, you know, not showing up. Um, you know, we made the joke that maybe he's building something. Maybe he could turn it around at Arkansas state. I, I say, kick him out. Uh, I don't, I don't think there's any reason for Butch Jones to have a job much longer after that. I have long said that Butch Jones is a class act and I will stand by that. Okay. <laughs> That's a classy <laughs> man right there. Coaching Arkansas state. He hands out cash like nobody else does. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, Kansas State blows out SEMO 45 zip. Kansas beats Missouri State 48 17. Oklahoma State, thank you, does not do bad things to Central Arkansas. It's only a 27 13 victory there. And Iowa State 30 9. Trey, I'll let you choose to decide to air your comment or simply pass on it, but they did score some points in this game. I'll, uh, I'll refrain from commenting until the Cyhawk game next week. That's we'll smart. save some time there. <laughs> 30, 30 to nine over Northern uh, Iowa. ACC scores uh, some more unremarkable scores. We have to sh- start out by saying fly the flag. Northern Illinois, 27, Boston College, 24 in overtime. Uh, the most entertaining game on this slate was Louisville coming back to beat Georgia Tech. We were all riding the rambling rack i even tweeted a graphic out about it we were going to the postseason baby this was game one of a six and six schedule and then well georgia tech does georgia tech things haynes king that timer for pass rush just does not seem to go off with him he had such a good game until the sec well late in the third and all through the fourth when the offense went away louisville ends up pulling this one out 39 34 Garrett, again, your ex-lover giving you a chance to to take her back. Any any comment from you there? Uh, not on Louisville, at least. No, I thought overall Georgia Tech played a good game, but man, just disappeared in the second half on offense. That Haynes King had over two hundred yards in the first half, and I was sitting there I'm like, where was this Haynes King at A and M? Where was this Chase Lane? Chase Lane had a long, you know, pass, and they talked about how they were teammates at AM for like five minutes on the broadcast. Not a great broadcast, by the way, but I'll I'll let that sit. Um, and, and then man, they just they they disappear. I mean, Haynes King had like 40 yards total passing the entire second half before that last little drive that they, you know, they kind of gave it up. They're playing prevent defense and it, it is what it is. Um, but no, not not a great effort there. 
um, to finish that game, obviously. But you gotta gotta give Louisville the credit; they did come back. Whatever they said at halftime worked, and uh, you know came back, clawed back, and ended up winning this game. Uh, Trey Brett Gabbert said a bunch of things in front of a microphone a couple weeks ago, and then did not cash that check. Miami, Florida beats Miami of Ohio, thirty-one to three. Um, listen, man, if you're going to say you're going to prove you're the real Ohio, I think you got to score at least one touchdown to qualify. They did not do that. Uh, you know, the Hurricanes looked okay against uh, a Red Hawks team that can't play defense, but a good week one tune-up leading into their, their week two matchup against Texas A&M. Yeah, ran the ball really well. Didn't, you know, didn't lose to Miami, Ohio. That's all that you can ask, really, for Miami at this point. <laughs> Uh, talked about Northern Illinois. Shout out to the Huskies for knocking off a bad Boston college team on the road. Fly the flag. Wake Forest beats Elon 37-17. Pitt beats Wofford 45-7. Syracuse blows out Colgate 65 to nothing. And one of you just typed in the most, maybe the most important stat of this entire weekend. Syracuse has now taken the lead in the all-time series. Trey, you were telling us going into that game, they were tied because of games back in the 30s or something like that. Syracuse yep. definitively takes the lead in that series. I think the Orange got to feel really good about that. Absolutely. You know, I think that was the 68th time they'd ever played. And yeah, finally Syracuse gets something to brag about in this rivalry. Uh, the last game broke my heart. Virginia Tech 36, Old Dominion 17. While I'm really thrilled that the Hokies can score on offense, I was not thrilled that the over on this cash. That was one of my ledger bets. I was just <laughs> sure that after last year's defensive catastrophe, we wouldn't have to worry about the over hitting, but Allie Jenkins and uh, and Grant Wells went to town. They scored 36 to beat Old Dominion uh, in convincing fashion. Three group of five games to get to very quickly before we wrap up here. It's after midnight here on uh, in God's time zone. We're ready to go to bed, but three more games to talk about. Tulane convincingly beat South Alabama 37-17. I got this game all wrong. I took the Jags plus six and a half. I told you take them outright, and that could not have been further from the truth. Michael Pratt, despite losing multiple options on the offensive side and a couple of key linebackers, Nick Anderson, Dorian Williams, on the defensive side, Tulane stepped up and looks like the group of five contender with, uh, with UTSA going down. We'll talk about SMU in just a moment, but how impressed were you guys with the green wave? Loved that they picked up right where they left off. They've got a really tricky non-conference schedule with South Alabama this week. They play Ole Miss next week at home. Lots of fun could be had, though. I, I really like where they're at right now, and those a really impressive statement went for Tulane this week. Yeah, stuff was real fun on the Big Easy. I was still big on Tulane on this one. I thought that they were going to keep going, and sure enough, they did. And that's not to take anything away from South Alabama. That's a real good team, but Tulane's a good team. This is the team that beat USC, and you don't do that just because you got a running back that you know left you. That's you know he was a stud. Ty J Spears is a stud, but look, Pratt was amazing. Seventeen, the receiver, I can't remember his name right now, but seventeen looked real good um, in that game. And so you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what Tulane can do. Go ahead, you know, put Ole Miss on upset watch because, I mean, they, they looked good. They scored a lot of points, but put them on upset watch. Tulane's got a real good defense. They're going to play some good football. Putting up 37 on one of the best defenses in the group of five from a season ago, certainly impressive in week one. Uh, SMU beats Law Tech 38-14. Garrett, we were at this game for the first half before we started to fry like eggs. Uh, Preston Stone looked good, although we were kind of wishing they had let him cook a little bit more. The, the deep throws – 
weren't in the playbook, but then again, SMU didn't exactly need it. Scoring points was not difficult for them against the Bulldogs. Yeah, and he had a couple deep passes, which I was excited about. He had that one for the, I think it was the second touchdown they scored, deep pass, looked like there could have been P.I. called, there wasn't, uh, and he ends up scoring that one. Also had a really impressive pass to uh, R.J. Maryland as we were leaving um, because we weren't about to sit in that 100 heat anymore and watch Louisiana Tech just continue to get stomped. Uh, so uh, apologies, SMU. We did not stick around for the second half, but nobody stuck around for the second half. Most of y'all no, students didn't. didn't even stick around for the first quarter. So uh, we'll, we'll call you out there, too. It, it was hot. It was fine. That's Leave, leave the game. Don't die. Um, but, no, SMU looked really good. Defense was really impressive for me for SMU. Really got to the quarterback. Bachmeyer was not comfortable the entire day. He was just running around, lots of pressure on them. Uh, I, I was really excited about SMU coming into the year. Still excited about them. Think they're going to have a good year. If SMU can play defense, boy, they will be a dangerous team. Mm-hmm. Their final year in the American. Uh, certainly one of our favorites to go to the New Year's Six Bowl game. They're the team that I've been hyping up the most as well over on Twitter. Ponies, we're ready for week one. Uh, Trey, final game. You breathe a massive sigh of relief as Western Kentucky came back to beat South Florida 41-24. Uh, you were hanging on to your butts there at the, the very end, South South Florida inside the red zone trying to take your cover away, uh, but they weren't able to do it. You hang on to win that game. Yeah, d- just a great feeling when a bad beat goes your way, right? And Western Kentucky had no business winning this game, let alone covering. They messed around the entire time, then got a scoop and score, and somehow held – the the bulls out of the end zone at the end for the cover awesome awesome finish to the game for the hilltoppers and my ledger cause that's right uh trey right now currently sitting for the moment in the catbird seat we're waiting on garrett's parlay with duke to see if that hits tomorrow night so as you're listening to this we still don't have the results of the clemson duke game that will be a youtube exclusive recap excuse me we'll put that up on our youtube channel after that game goes final uh, Garrett is is hoping to retake that lead. I am 0-8 in my ledger bet so far. <clears throat> I've got some nowhere to go but up, Mitch. Nowhere to go but up. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, last week or we thought we were, next week. We we, <laughs> we thought we were gonna keep everything between the mustard and the mayo. That didn't happen this week. Yeah. Got really close on a number of the bets, but like UNT, UTSA letting me down, Rutgers. I, I told you the Rutgers would take care of business. Never a doubt there, but and that's the only thing you, you you get in a parlay that's that's not gonna cash at the window. Uh, guys, my voice is going away, so I think that's time for us to wrap. Great week one, phenomenal week one. Despite the lack of ranked matches, hey, if that's all you care about, look to week two. Tune in on Thursday morning. We'll have your week two preview coming for you. It's gonna be a really really exciting week. For Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, so long, everybody. Gracious, how about that?